This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience Podcast. Someone once told me I could possibly make a quantum computer 15 different ways, which doesn't sound that interesting until you consider it could literally destroy encryption and perhaps the internet as we know it. How fun would that be in the middle of the banking and economic challenges we're living through right now? Well, my guest this week is Lawrence Gassman. Lawrence is a published author a public speaker, and he's carried out a wide range of technology assessments in areas ranging from optical networking to advanced materials, even augmented reality, and today, quantum computing. Lawrence served as a senior fellow in telecommunications at the Cato Institute, a DC think tank. He is also the president of Inside Quantum Technology, a research and consulting firm. The question I posed to Lawrence was, how imminent is quantum computing and what role will it play in business, society, and helping or hurting human beings flourish. Amazing conversation. So please sit back and enjoy my guest, Lawrence Gassman. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data. How we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. All right. Well, let's start with basics. Um, You can make a quantum computer in a number of different ways. I, I recently read an article and there's about 15 different architectures and materials and things that people have come up with that you might be able to make a quantum computer with. But uh, the key thing is that its processing power is exponentially greater than any classical computer. And the equation that is usually used is um, nq equals 2 to the n, which means that if you had one qubit, which is what quantum computers are used instead of bits, you would have 2 to the 1, uh, which is 2, which doesn't sound that fantastic, two uh, bits equivalent. So you'd need two bits to get the same processing power as one qubit. The when that becomes fantastic and mythical and all those things you said is when you start going making n increase and it doesn't have to increase very much so suppose you had a hundred qubits and for reference ibm brought out a new computer not so long ago i was gonna say mm-hmm. this year it's actually last year that was actually 400 qubits so this is very real mm-hmm. that would have the capacity of a computer that could process at one time two to the hundred and i have no idea what that number is but it's very very large indeed um next year IBM, and I'm just using IBM as an example because it's sure. the le- leader in the field, will have, I think it's 1,200 qubits, which would be 2 to the 1,200-bit equivalent. So what you can see is that they can solve problems um, that a classical computer could solve, but um, in some amazingly long period of time. Uh, and um, that includes encryption problems, which you mentioned, Um, It includes uh, logistics problems. It includes um, optimization problems in in business or in, you know, very complex environments or design um, uh, design, um, algorithms in, um, say, materials design or drug design, that kind of thing. So um, you were talking about encryption which is the one that comes up uh can we make break 
public key encryption? Well, the answer is yes, and we've known that we could do that for very many years. But now comes along uh, quantum encryption, uh, quantum decryption, I suppose, and you can do it in theory once you have a machine that powerful in a few hours. You get different numbers from different people, but the point remains the same. Uh, How long would it take with a regular computer, even a big supercomputer? And the answer is possibly, the largest number I've seen is 9 billion years. You know, uh, decrypting something, however important, you have to wait 9 billion years. Probably not that much use to you, really. (laughs) Wait a minute. This was a recipe for salad? I thought it was something else. Yeah. Can I ask you real quick, so when you're talking about the growth of IBM's um, compute power in quantum world, when I was a kid, I – I was able to buy these Casio computer kits. Like you could build your own thing. And then right. later I, w- I remember building my first 286, 12 megahertz, so fast it left skid marks on my desktop computer. And um, and the difference as I moved up the stack um, was game performance or video performance. And the different – I was mostly interested in, in uh, gaming and then, and then later um, – when I worked at University of Texas, uh, how it helped me to do my job. But there was a pretty quick development over 15 years, let's say, of the Pentium processor and these other things. But m- most anybody could go get the parts very quickly off the shelf. In the early days, it was, again, IBM at computer land, their XT, then their AT or whatever. But pretty quickly, or Compaq or Sun, you you could go get components off the shelf. Are we going to see that with Quantum where I can just go and – uh, make my own desktop home because I thought quantum had to be um, like it, it requires a lot of heat, a lot of power. So, so another way to say that is a lot of cooling at a particular environment. Is this something so, that we have to worry about? Who can make them and how they're deployed? Well, I don't know if we have to worry about them any more than any other kind of computer. Okay, that's that's the response on, on worrying. I don't <laughs> think it's imminent that people can buy the parts of them. In the sense that you mean, you know, yeah. in my day, you went down to Radio Shack and just right. have one of these and three of these. And, <laughs> um, and and my first computer was a Radio Shack computer back in 1981. Was that a um, Trash 80? Yes, it was. Yeah, and I were, learned on that machine. And, and, yeah. And, um, uh, well, I can talk for a long time about that, but it's nothing <laughs> to do with quantum computers. Um so we're a ways from that. Right. Um, one reason you've said yourself, not all quantum computers are are, are superconductive. The IBM one is, the Rigetti one is. Um, so you're talking before you do anything else, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of cooling equipment, and it's very very big. Um, right. So you know, talking about the past, you're back to. Um, you know, the situation where your computer is just very large and, and, and right. you couldn't put it in your home because of that. The first computer I ever saw was a IBM mainframe that they took us to see from high, from high school for the kids who were going on to do math stuff. And right. it was a huge room and they showed us how to do three plus five or something. Right. Um, so there's nothing equivalent to that yet in quantum computing. There are some forms of quantum computing technology that don't need all the superconducting 
crap, like um, iron trap computing that um, Continuum is doing and IronQ is doing. Um, again, we're at very early stages. It's still very expensive, but you don't need to cool it, at least not quite as much. So, you know, can I see, you know, a revived Radio Shack selling quantum parts 10 years from now? Oh, maybe. Um and not something that's likely to happen anytime soon, but yeah. it's possible. There is a Chinese company selling not parts, but like a, a kid's quantum computer. And um, it's only 10 qubits or 12 qubits or something like that. And it's just, a, and it, I think the latest price, and that's about five grand. Um, so it's for the kid who has everything, I suppose. Yeah, it's for it's for schools and things, but right? That, so none of that is going to happen in the, you know, the consumer sphere anytime soon. But it might in the long term. So you can't break into the Federal Reserve, but you can change your grade in chemistry. Well, you can't break into the Federal Reserve with anything, and you may not be able to break in and change <laughs> your grade in, in chemistry. It's quite easy to protect that. You the the again you see different numbers from different people. Right. I've I've seen um uh you need five, a four thousand qubit computer to be able to do something like that. Well, yeah. we don't have one uh that's of the kind they're talking about. There are some four thousand qubit computers, but they're limited in other ways, like the, the life of the qubit. Right. Um but um just suppose it's a real quantum computer and it really does have it. You could probably break into something, but that's not that far away. Mm. Um, so, uh, what is it? The, 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 I just saw the IBM roadblock. So this isn't supposed to be an ad for IBM. There's that's quite right. a few can, My dad worked for IBM for almost 35 years. You talk really? about IBM all day long. Um, yeah. And all the people I know who are sort of my age, who worked for it. Um, yeah say very good things about it but they are ahead in many ways in quantum computing but that aside they're probably two or three years away i can't remember what it says on their roadmap hmm. four years from having a, a computer that's powerful enough to break quantum encryption i mean regular encryption and one should remember that um uh, you don't necessarily need something as powerful as that to break it over a period of time. The 4,000 qubits I'm talking about could break it in, again, don't know, but a few right. hours. Suppose you could break it in six weeks and you were talking about plans for an air aircraft. Aircraft designs are often around for 60, 70 years. Right. So if you stole the plan and then took you know, six weeks or six months to decode it, right. um, that could come even sooner. Um, so it's very real. Um, right. And and there are ways being designed to protect, um, compute, you know, to add security um, to things that matter. I mean, you want to break in and read all my emails yeah, right now. Go. <laughs> go for it. You'll find out that my wife wanted me to bring some bananas home. Which would be which would be shocking to you. So. Yeah, you wouldn't even have to break in. You just call my wife. She'd be happy to tell you. And you yeah. she, you just flip over my keyboard, and there's my password. So no quantum computer needed. Well, if you were, I, 
but yeah. obviously there are things where it really matters. So. Sure. Well, if we were to go back for a moment, two points in time occur to me. One is early 80s, Steve Jobs, uh, mm -hmm. Bill Gates talking about this idea of home computers and the average regular person would have said something like this. Um, what would I ever use a computer for in my house? Two, I could never afford it. Three, I could never learn how to use it. So that's one point in time. Flash forward into the mid-90s. Famously, I think it was Brian Gumbel, but it, whoever it was, was like, <laughs> so what is this World Wide Web, this internet, Katie Couric, and, and how does it work? And they're super confused. And now we don't even think about it. Like our three-year-olds, it's too intuitive on their devices that they are, you know, get at birth. So people trying to figure it out. If we were to come now to today and you were just keeping it to the basics, what's quantum computing um, to sort of that level audience, if you if you don't mind just a minute, uh, to kind of uh, set it up for us? And then two, why do you think it's important, whether we have a home one or it's in uh, the workforce or it's, you know, deployed with military or whatever, in whatever way, um, how do you think the technology is going to help us in our world? So that's actually a lot of questions put together. Um, uh, first of all, really a, not, a partly obvious answer. Um, uh, a lot of people, thousands of people are using quantum computers today and they're sim simply logging on um, to a quantum computer somewhere Mm. over the regular network and then doing their you know sending it information and then the answer will come back to them from the quantum computer to their little laptop sitting on their desk or something right. um and that's how most quantum computing is done today so you've got um you know time sharing almost if you go back going back to the beginning sure. again so people can use it at home <clears throat> And they certainly are using it at home, you know, students and researchers. So in that sense, it's happening now, um, but they're students and researchers, so they may be solving very complex problems. And that's the second bit of my answer as well. Um, so just so we're clear, the little bit of um, math I threw out at the beginning and Q mm -hmm. equals two to the end, um, Quantum computers really are very different to classical computers. They're designed to process algorithm um, algorithms that could not be processed in any reasonable time by a classical computer. So if you had one at home, there'd have to be that, uh, that kind of reason for wanting one. And it's not clear what that would be outside of a professional situation. Mm -hmm. um, so... I know someone who's absolutely convinced, because he doesn't know anything about quantum computers, <laughs> that um, if only Ticketmaster, I guess, had a quantum computer, then somehow everybody would have got a Taylor Swift con a concert ticket. Right. And, and that's not true. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and one reason it's not true is because they might have got it better allocated if they just bought themselves a few more PCs and some storage space and you know a bit more network bandwidth. But but so and and they could get that for you know one percent of what a quantum computer might cost them. So that's one part of it. But the other thing is um the point about solving algorithms is you're trying to get to a reasonable answer. You're not trying to do the kind of classical problems that um 
most of us are going to be doing at, at home. Would a reasonable answer be, for example, I want to know what the weather is tomorrow. It may, Maybe it hits exactly on the temperature, but if it gave me reasonably, look, it's a 98% chance that it's... And that's exactly right. right. And, and, you know, what's always pointed out in common articles about quantum computers is, um, it, you know, it can't add one and one and make two. And I think that's literally true. And the answer to that is, well, there's a lot of other ways of adding one and one. And you, you know, you can ask, ask a four-year-old, for right. instance. Um, so um, and that's supposed to be a criticism. It isn't. And I, I'd mention also that in most cases, quantum computers are used as um, adjuncts. Um, I think that would be the right word, or co-processors to just classical computers. So they work together to mm -hmm. come up with some kind of answer. I was trying to think, and so I was stuttering a bit, where you might use it in home applications, and it's hard to come up with one. The one I came up with isn't very good, but um, suppose you were trying to do a deep fake of someone, mm -hmm. um, which I could imagine that you might want to do at home for yeah. nefarious reasons right. or just fun. A right. quantum computer might give you a very good deep fake. I mean, I mean I'm not sure that that's been right. done, but it really is professional. And some of the applications I talked about in drug design and materials and in finance, optimizing a portfolio, um, in the intelligence service, which are very, very interested in these things, um, uh, you, you know, all those are outside, although there still may be time sharing, and mostly they are. In fact, so. yeah. Well, just at least for now. I mean, it was generation a generation before we moved from a whole room mainframe that we time shared until we had the radical material development to, that and and manufacturing ability to allow regular people to afford something and the power difference and all these other, the lack of sophistication of parts or whatever. So it's probably, if there's a home need for it, at some point it will be uh, not, you know, there will be an opportunity, but is it in the initial first generation and the, and the fast follows doesn't sound like we're at high risk for that. No, I, I think where you might see things begin to change and not so much, at home, I actually mm -hmm. really can't think of a practical reason for having one at home, but I will almost certainly be wrong. <laughs> That's, but it's right. still, I'll be wrong in a long time. I may not be around anymore by the time I'm wrong, but um, is in much smaller businesses. Mm. Um, so uh, yes, they can timeshare, but you know, the history of computing, which you obviously know, has been a um, a to and fro between time sharing and having an in-house computer. And you're beginning to see some companies who just rather have an in-house computer, not just companies, but government, mm -hmm. intelligence mm -hmm. services, military. Um, I believe I'm right in saying that the Cleveland Clinic in, in Cleveland um, uh, has its own quantum computer now for diagnosis and pharmaceutical applications and things. And the, the trade-off between having your own in-house computer and time-sharing is exactly what it is in any kind of computing. I mean, you know, it's more controllable on, in one way, and but you can leave it to the experts in another way. And that won't change. So what happened in the history of regular computing was 
I don't know, around about 70 or 72 or something, the, um, the, uh, uh, we changed from a mainframe, plenty of places you're still using a mainframe, still actually, mm-hmm. um, to mini computers, which are people, places like digital, uh, digital, digital right. general, I think. Yeah, the they made their deck, deck alphas and, and all, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Deck was who I was trying to think of right. long, long gone. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, they were fifty, sixty thousand dollars machines as opposed to million dollar machines or $2 million machines with mainframes. And that's important because any business who really needed the $50,000, $60,000 machine that could make use of it and could make money with it, uh, well, there were a lot of them, first of all. I mean, you know, who'd been working. Um, and that became a very different kind of business um, and then led ultimately to PCs. So I could imagine a quantum machine that could do something useful going for a hundred thousand dollars in six seven years uh probably wouldn't be a superconducting one but but uh and it may not be enough to break into you know fort knox like you said but it might be useful to do things at a small management consultants at a uh, a medium-sized bank that would be a very obvious one to use it um you know in certain contexts within universities i could go on uh I mean, uh, just like the early days of Deck, right? Yeah, they, yeah. Those same those same customers. The the cool thing about the Deck Alphas were, for for a mainframe, there was so much. You almost had to be an artisan to maintain that very yeah. specialized school. There was a lot of things around it, so it wasn't just the cost of the machine, and it was all the support around it. Whereas with the Deck. It was a much smaller fraction of the size. It was a fraction of the power and the pool of um, technicians and software. Like it it, it opened an industry which ultimately led to the personal computer and and then to our, you know, by by sort of way of heritage to our phones. But it, it opened this huge opportunity and that's not uncommon. I, I, you know, we're, we're going to go there with quantum for sure. But I'm curious, then what? what's the enthusiasm? Like I see the consumer side enthusiasm with more colors on my a more rich environment and maybe even the, without spending too much time in the metaverse. But like I see where for this computer, this uh, consumer experience. But actually, let's pause for a second. Can you give us a brief, if you don't mind, um, for somebody, we're talking around quantum, all of this quantum stuff. If somebody's saying, what the heck is quantum computing? Do you have a, without them having to go to chat GPT or Wikipedia, what would you, how would you explain what quantum computing is? What What is it? What's its purpose? And why are we even talking about it? Well, I mean, I, what is it is it's a a, a machine that, processes qubits instead of bits. I mean, that's the right. fundamental difference. A qubit is is defined in terms of, well, there's a number of ways of defining it, but it's, it's de- defined in terms of uh, quantum mechanical phenomena, uh, particularly in, in entanglement. And there's different ways of making a qubit, uh, which vary from the superconducting we talked about, which is what gets the, you know, the publicity. Right. Uh, through trapped ions, through uh, diamonds that have uh, uh, 
problems with the diamonds, but it creates a, it, it lets off. You can control that problem um, and uh, create qubits with it. As I said at the beginning, mm. there's about 15 different ways of doing it. Mm. And and because you can create a qubit, which if you like, although it's not really the case, can, can right. have so many more bits, you can do much more complicated calculations, all of which have to do with um, algorithms that just can't be, that can't even theoretically be solved in a reasonable period of time by a classical computer. As a footnote, there are some problems that cannot be solved. I mean, you can prove that they cannot be solved. They aren't right. any more solvable by a quantum computer than anything else. They really can't be solved. And right. If you've ever um, heard of Gödel's theorem, that's an example of something that cannot be solved so um, it feels like the universe laughs at us though don't you think lawrence when we say they cannot be solved a hundred thousand years ago uh, uh, from now when said remember when they said this could not be solved because we didn't discover all the laws of the universe or all and i'm not you know i'm not um no girdle serum will never be solved <laughs> it's all not... right gauntlet thrown you dropped it in front yeah. of the universe we'll see yeah. how it responds um we know that there are true mathematical problems there, sorry, there are true mathematical facts, if you like, right. theorems that cannot be proved, but they're right. true. Uh, that Gödel proved that in the 1930s, um, right. and and no one's ever really questioned it, and uh, because there is a proof that they're true, but a proof that you can't prove that they're true. So it it, it would Don't take. Do you feel like though this is the intro to a Matthew McConaughey movie? He's going to take this clip and then he's going to write a movie about. Like in the Matrix, you know, where the how does he do this with the spoon? The truth is, there is no spoon, or you know, I don't know. Well, now I'm just having fun. Yeah, you're right. I I learned that very early in my career about uh, Gödel's theorem. But my point really was that uh, you could take as many quantum computers with as many qubit capacities you like, and you still wouldn't so Gödel's theorem. But you right. could break encryption very quick, quickly, actually. Right. Um, and by the way. Uh, just so we're clear, the, the encryption that people are talking about breaking is public key encryption, which has kept us uh, uh, up going for uh, 50 years or something in most encryption right. circumstances. Uh, there are other forms of encryption that would be much harder to break, and it's just <laughs> it's just you know one of those laws of the universe. You always pick the wrong one. I mean, right. it kept us going for forty years, and we just happened to pick one that's relatively easy for a quantum computer to pick. There's now a whole cottage industry. Actually, it's more than a cottage industry um, growing up with uh, new forms of encryption. It's called post quantum encryption that would be very difficult for a quantum computer to to crack. Um, uh, and NIST. I guess last year, I was going to say this year, put out standards for what a post-quantum encryption would have to be. Uh, there's a book written by a guy called Singh about the history of uh, of encryption, and it begins by saying there's there's no um, there's no uh, uh, code that can't be cracked, no encryption method that can't be cracked, and that hasn't really changed all that much with quantum computing. Um, it isn't things that it's just that the codes that could be cracked and we knew could be cracked can be cracked a lot quicker, so much quicker that like I showed with the, you know, with 9 billion years or whatever the real number right. is, it, it might as well not be able to be cracked. And that is different to 
you know, some things that really can't be problems that can't be solved. Well, certainly solving a problem in six weeks. I mean, if you couldn't solve it for 20 years, what does it matter? If you're solving, if you're breaking into stuff that I want to protect, but it's from 20 years ago, uh, short of, I guess, national secrets or military plans or, you know, some some significant thing like that. And it's certainly at the consumer level, probably not a lot of really big uh, deal. Well, there's some some things where it might do. Um, again, really talk, talking off the cuff here, because... Right. I know about quantum computers. I don't know about aerospace. But in a completely different context, someone was telling me that they're now uh, kind of refurbishing the designs and things of B-52 bombers. And um, so that they'll become active in the Air Force again. Um, Mm. And by the time they're done with that, it will have been close to 100 years since the very first b-52 bombers were designed so i mean if that's true and i haven't checked up on it then you know taking six months about cracking it is going to make no difference of course sometimes you do need it you know codes cracked like simultaneously or you know or um you know in real time i suppose i mean everybody talks a lot these days about cracking the German codes during the Second World War. Sure. And that, that had to be in real time or very close to real time because they were looking for the uh, <clears throat> the uh, locations of U-boats and things that would, you know, sink Allied shipping. And um, so that's very different. Saying it would take six months again is, is pretty useful. So context matters a lot. Do you, do you see a... I could see a role that these machines would play, for example, in e-commerce, uh, you know, solving or cloud computing or doing doing some of these things in the background. Um, so so yeah. in cloud computing, I suppose you could say they already are. And yeah. that's because we talked about um, accessing a big quantum computing online. Um, that's most often done through a cloud. Um, right. And most of the big cloud companies now have um, basically a quantum cloud, but it's just a regular cloud that's partly be, just been rebranded, but mm-hmm. is also adjusted to deal with it. And what's going over that is just good old bits. It only becomes qubits when it gets to the computer at the other end. Right. Um, but uh, like AWS, Amazon has has a, a, a qubit um service uh ibm has its own d-wave which is a company we haven't talked about yet but it's another quantum computer company of sorts has its own i don't know mm-hmm. maybe half a dozen have them and and some of them even if it's like from one company will work with our quantum computers it's a bit complex or not terribly yeah. interesting but um so clouds um <clears throat> Definitely. I mean, it's part of the story. We even wrote a report on quantum clouds, though, although they're not actually quantum anything. They're just right. clouds. But uh, um, Water vapors involved. Yeah, that's right. Right. Um, hey, I, I, I do have a question. Um, one of the things that I hear a lot of conversations about is this idea of Web 3.0 or even Web 4.0. And, and a number of the big ideas behind that is this, this idea of a whether it's blockchain or some other ledger 
um, system. N- not I'm not speaking specifically of crypto. I'm just talking about right. the infrastructure, okay. my HIPAA right, data, right. my whatever. I, I want to uh, – they will walk through – a number of them will walk through this process of what web 1.0 looked like, which was basically I log into a web page and I'm downloading stuff. Web 2.0, they would say, is some version of that. We live in this world today where we interact with things, and they're mining me for data. I'm the data provider because they're giving me all these things, quote unquote, for free so that they can leverage my data. And Web 3.0 is this, no, 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 you get to claim your data back, um, and, it, and it will look differently. I wonder if, that, if these ma- machines impact what that looks like, like if the ledger idea – Presuming their argument is valid, and I'm that's a whole nother conversation. But if their premise uh, mostly holds weight, that the ledger world is going to allow us to do this, is it enabled by quantum? Is it enhanced by quantum, or is it negatively impacted by quantum? So um, it just occurred to me that they're all very good examples, and maybe they contradict. Well, I don't contradict what I said about consumer, which is it'll be a long while before it is. Mm-hmm. But I can I can see applications there, um, and also in the metaverse. Uh, so where there's an algorithm, uh, you might want to speed up that algorithm. And uh, you know, Meta is a good example because not the company, <laughs> but right. you know, virtual reality is a good example. Um, because it all relies on an algorithm. And if you've ever done any VR, and I bet you have. Yeah, have. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, it all relies on an algorithm trying to um, simulate a real world. And in, at least in my opinion, uh, it can be very clunky. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is an algorithm. So suppose that you ran it on a quantum computer um, it would speed up dramatically and the world would look a lot more like the world. I mean, mm-hmm. presumably that's how the machines did it in the matrix. They had quantum right. computers. Um, what was the other thing you asked me? You gave me another example. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, we were oh, talking about uh, meta- uh, um, blockchain. Blockchain. Yeah. One. Yeah. So yeah. Um, again, not an expert on blockchain, but I can imagine much more complex black blockchains that you could put together and run over a quantum computer. It's really, I mean, what it boils down to is if you've got an algorithm, like, you know, how to get from this city to that city, another city without going through the same one twice, which is a real problem in applied mathematics uh, or that kind of thing, or VR or all those things that, you know, there's a lot of processing run it on a quantum computer and it will get better better now whether it matters i i don't know i mean even if you could get um you know uh tickets distributed better i still don't think they sure. use that but vr might be a very good application actually um i followed it for years and thought it you know uh, I mean, I've always wanted to get a VR glasses and things because I'm that sort of a person, but right. I couldn't think of any reason to get it. And I just found them when I use them, it's kind of disturbing. But if it was just like the real world, then it might be might be something you could use a quantum computer on, but you'd probably do it over a network, I imagine. Um, yeah. So. I, I um, When you were talking, I remember a conversation with somebody talking about smart cities. 
And, and mm-hmm. we've been talking about, quote unquote, smart cities forever. In their particular case, they're referring to a city in America where they are trying to optimize how garbage is collected, where they go, when they go, whether the receptacle's full, like why, why have a machine go to every um, station if the station's not full? I mean, it's that much less traffic, that much less fuel, right? And so you have this machine, but I don't want to create a pattern that what I want it to be is live and in real time based upon the current conditions of traffic and weather and all of these other things to to optimize the route to to do this mundane thing <laughs> and get it out of there. And the like it frees up parking, like all of these great benefits in, in their imagination. And we can extrapolate that from garbage collection to a thousand other things. And if you've got some mechanism that can run these algorithms that you're talking about and give me, if not real-time, near real-time data, where to park when I go to my Taylor Swift ticket. that would be absolutely perfect um, application for a quantum computer. I don't know how big it would have to be, but it's also been done several years ago in a primitive sort of way. Volkswagen ran an experiment where it tried to optimize all the traffic uh, with in mind they were going to have excuse me, self-driving cars in the not-too-distant future. Um, So optimization of traffic made a lot of sense. But it was, um, you know, a short-term trial, and they ran it in some major cities. I happen to remember they ran it in Beijing, but it was four or five other cities. I really don't remember, and they'd be obvious ones. Um, That would be a perfect uh job for a quantum computer and, and i'd say it's the kind of thing that a big city might do um yeah. because there's some i mean that's the other thing we didn't talk about is you can do really cool things but there has to be some obvious benefits um i i read somewhere or maybe somebody told me that somebody had paid not somebody but some organization had paid like 40 million dollars for a quantum computer I, I don't know that that number's right it sounds very high but but um you know we're talking those kind of numbers well there has to be something that comes back and other than ain't that cool uh, <laughs> uh, uh, i don't know wanna... i mean by many accounts that's how kind of gps we thought we were going to use it for one thing we had no idea that it would be involved in every permutation that we have that we don't even think about and it's this massive benefit well it i mean that started off as a military technology obviously and and then uh got kind of denationalized if you want demilitarized um you know the military are using quantum computers um you know if i knew how they were and i told you i'd have to kill you of course yeah, well but, please don't but, do that i I, yeah. grocery <laughs> I, d- shopping. I don't i don't know how they use but, <laughs> but i do know they're being used and and the rumor which um god forbid should be attributed to me even if i am live with this um <laughs> is that they have more powerful ones than you could buy if you weren't the military so yeah um in fact i'm reasonably sure of my grounds there which is another yeah. reason that the gps is a very good example you know i mean there was certainly a period when gps was something you couldn't buy but you knew it existed and you knew that you could do really cool stuff and then suddenly it was available um you know it's most probable that we'll find out the military's had some very powerful machines all along um 
uh, that wouldn't surprise me too. All the intelligence services. I mean, it might be the NSA or yeah, right. NASA. Yeah, NASA. Yeah, uh, uh, we we had Steve Andriel on from Villanova. He worked mm. years at DARPA, and um, he, you know he, he wants to live and he doesn't want to take any life, so he's not getting into any secrets that are some time past. But he can certainly reflect on the you know the mission of an organization like DARPA, which feeds obviously the military and other things. They bring these really really smart, capable people in at least in the past, and the culture was go to town. What are the things that most excite you? What are the things that most terrify you? And we want to help enable that back end so that we can mitigate our risks and take advantage of economic or national or whatever strategic uh, advantage we can help us to go do those things. And I would imagine that um, they are still, if not the leaders, certainly some of the leaders in on on earth oh absolutely um, um but you should also realize that even some of these you know ultra secret agencies are, are sometimes not all that secret they just right. have rules that say they can't do things that enable other people to know what they're really doing to right. copy them um so we've had nsa people uh talking at our conferences and they were very good um mm. you wouldn't know enough at the end of it to know quite what they were right. doing or uh well that and and we've had ex-cia people talk about it too someone right. who now works for a quantum computer company right. um they like doing it i mean they, right. they, were, they were easier to get than some companies now but um right. um i've been to a conference on quantum encryption in in shanghai i spoke at the conference actually and there were uh, uh encryption and quantum experts literally from all over the world i mean those were the heady days when we had lots of russians they don't right. come anymore um right i'm still trying to get over the fact that we got some information from volkswagen you know i used to trust volkswagen a lot until they had the cataclysmic failure in the 70s of convincing me that the car i was lusting after was a porsche when it was really a Volkswagen, it was the little Porsche 914 that I just thought was this amazing little vehicle. And then somebody had to break my heart and say, you know, that's really a Volkswagen with a Porsche emblem on it. I was shattered. I don't know that I've given my full trust to them since then, regardless of how amazing their vehicles are. Well, my wife for a long time had a, a Cayenne, which is a Porsche, uh -huh. uh, um, and, and very nice car, and eventually shouldn't have it anymore right. and we were looking around and she said well I'd like another one of those and we decided it was more than one even we wanted to spend at that point in our right. life and there's a Volkswagen called a Torag which is pretty uh -huh. much the same car with, <laughs> with you know the emblem taken off and the Volkswagen it's yeah. not the same car because some of the more luxurious features aren't, aren't right. there anymore but yeah uh, and and yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I figured out in my mind, uh, the, the 17 year old in me was like, so basically what you're telling me is that this rectangle Porsche is really a curve. You know, the Carmen Ghia is a curvy Volkswagen and the Porsche 914 is a, an angular Volkswagen. They just had a different name on it. I remember I, the, I remember the Carmen Ghia. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful car. I grew up in Southern California. I spent a lot of time there, certainly my high school years. And, uh, I loved both of those, uh, both of those cars had a place in my heart. When, when you, when you are out there proselytizing about 
quantum computing and the um, the, the benefits besides the risk of uh, encryption and in those sorts of things. Where do you think regular people are going to experience, um, whether they know it or not, the 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 fullest extent of them in the nearer future, in the next ten years? Where do you think business is going to leverage this in the most? Hopefully, for human flourishing and not our demise. But uh, as you, what gets you excited about it, and where where do you think we're going to apply these in a way that we really are tangibly uh, noticeable? I think that based on how far we've got already and on the assumption that we find increasingly <laughs> that the thing actually works, right? If it right. doesn't really optimize your portfolio and makes you lose a million dollars when you only got a hundred thousand in there, not right. good. Um, but as, <laughs> as, assuming, you know, it works the way it's supposed to, um, I, I think in pharmaceuticals, mm. um, I think in uh, materials, uh, which could be for lots of things, including construction and and you know products in general, and in finance. Uh, so what you might expect in pharmaceuticals is, uh, well, essentially designer drugs um, that are um, can be targeted in a way that we can't do with classical computers. I mean, you know. Drug companies already use um, supercomputers, and you can think of this as the next stage after supercomputers, if you like. Uh, but again, if it starts ki- producing drugs that are going to kill people, not so good. Again, um, um, so the three things are pharmaceuticals, new drugs. Secondly, new materials, which might mean construction and might be tied in with sustainability issues. And the third one would be in large portfolios for optimizing them um i don't know if you know what monte carlo methods are uh, it's a statistical method for optimization you can use it in all sorts of ways uh, um you know we've used it for that uh, one of the public quantum companies was actually valued by us for the for uh the purposes of going public and we used quantum we used uh, we didn't use quantum at all uh, we used uh, monte carlo methods um well anyway optimizing <clears throat> portfolios or more accurate calculations in finance um you know unless you're a multimillionaire, you don't need a quantum computer but if like well actually not me but if uh, like a lot of people you simply have um, you know, you buy funds and things, and, right. and um, there's somebody out there, literally somebody at you know um, uh, one of the Goldman Sachs or something, trying to make sure you get the best for your money. Uh, they get the best for the money, but you know, interest rates can go down because it doesn't have to account for risks that a quantum computer can avoid. That kind of thing. So I think that's the three places you'll see it. Um, first of all um uh that the one um area that's a maybe for me uh, um i mean there might be all sorts of odd things like virtual reality but there's arguments against virtual reality that have nothing to do with quantum anything mm-hmm. um would be in ai um uh so if you look at what ai actually is it's a lot of software, which isn't that different from the AI software 
that was around in the 1970s, not as mm. a, how can I put it? I mean, it's very different, but the kind of thing that it is follows the same sort of pattern. So what's new and why people are getting so excited about it now is you can run it on run the AI algorithms on very fast processes like the ones that NVIDIA is putting out um, right. and, and a bunch of other companies. But NVIDIA right. is the one that everybody yeah, thinks about. Yeah, they're the uh, masters at it. Right, right. Uh, and NVIDIA has got into quantum about a year ago. Uh, we had them speak at one of our conferences. Um, uh, well, if you ran it on a, quant a big quantum computer, um, you could get some very powerful AI. So the question is, what would you use? What would the application for that be? Um, and I don't really know. I do know that the intelligent services are definitely interested in that. Right. We're going to have a panel. We're going to have an event in um, Montreal in June. And uh, one of the panels that I'm putting together for that is going to be on quantum AI. Um, and there's a few companies around, uh, Google being one of them, and most of the other ones being smallish, mm. who are interested in quantum AI. Um, I'm not going to name any particular companies, but in some mm. cases, some of the quantum AI is obviously a company that has some particular hardware or software and says, oh, and it does AI, because that's right. what people consider cool now. And, and it's not quite that. But but that's a, a, an area that's set ready to explode within quantum, I think. But it's not an application in the sense of bringing something directly to, to consumer. Uh, it'll be more, you know, your your investments are, are better invested by whoever you're, you know, you might survive longer with cancer or even get over it more likely. Right. Uh, yeah. I could, there's a, there's a lot of conversation. I don't know how much of it is valid, but there's a, there's a romantic notion that if we take all this DNA data we're collecting in all of these different sites and we're able to apply them to a, a, a compute platform that has the power and the ability to think in a way that we're, it seems like we're describing quantum so that it can look at a vast array of data of people from around the world of various, you know, all their, all their DNA markers ingests their, um, their, their medical history and then make projections on how to adjust a, a very specific diet or a very specific whatever one to avoid the, in other words, these predictors and then how to avoid it and how to enhance. And it, um, you know, there's <clears throat> that still feels very vague to me, very optimistic. Yeah, well, well, so um, I, I mean, I don't know how powerful that quantum computer has to be. And for right. all I know, it might be 10 years away to get to that level of qubits. I simply don't know. And I don't think right. anybody else does. I can think of ways you could calculate that. Secondly, uh, you still have to have an algorithm to solve. I mean, it, right. it, um, so you need some very clever people to work out what that is. And I think you do it for particular diseases. Um, I'm a diabetic, have been, mm -hmm. um, been for nearly 35 years. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I know a lot of the things I'm supposed to do and not do and what I can get away with just from my doctor and a lot of received wisdom for a disease, which is obviously 
you know, unfortunately, extremely common. Um, right. And here I am. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> I don't right. plan to be for a few more weeks. But, <laughs> if you um, are, you look so, remarkable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the, I mean, the thing, the point I'm trying to make is you may not need a quantum computer to do that, do that for specific diseases. Um, what I think you're talking about is, you, you know, they put Dave into the box and they go, Ooh, right. And then right. it comes out and, you have been diagnosed with something incredibly rare and right. you've got to drink tea every day for because that's what all our data shows. Uh, that's a bit fanciful, not so much because of the quantum computer, but where is all this data coming from? Do people collect that? How do they collect it? Could you do it for any disease? Actually, something you could do for any disease sounds like Elizabeth Holmes and whatever her company. Would yeah, be. that's right. That's exactly. Yeah, well, I just, what... uh, yeah, I, I just, I mean, I was pricking your fingers, but um, <laughs> so I think any, anything's possible. Um, but that really doesn't sound like it. It, it sounds pretty fanciful. Yeah. Um, you don't. Well, you know, going back to diabetes, you absolutely do not need something like that to diagnose diabetes. You, you right. absolutely do not, and right. that's not going to change. Um, but if somebody comes in with, first of all, we can make the economics work. And if somebody comes in and just has all these symptoms, perhaps uh, you could run something like that and come up with a much better answer than by classical methods. But I mean, I don't know exactly what the Cleveland clinic is use, using it for, but obviously that's the kind of thing they would be interested in. Right. Um, who knows? I mean, a hundred years from now, maybe you know, a thousand years from now, who knows? I won't care. That's I will be very disappointed if the Cleveland clinic is using their quantum compute power on how to cycle the linens through their hospital much more efficiently. I mean, well, they, they could be doing it probably <laughs> easier than what they're, they're doing. Yeah. And, and that's the point. I mean, that sounds like a really good problem for a quantum computer. Yeah. But you might be able to get a fairly simple algorithm you can do on your laptop and it would work almost right. as well. And it, it goes back to what I talked about where we were asked, IQT research was asked to do a evaluation of a company um, that was done on a laptop because they were trying to get an overall valuation for, for funding reasons. Right. If we'd run it on a, a quantum computer, we would have, you know, because we ran whatever it was, a few thousand iterations to get an idea of what the valuation really should be. Mm. If you ran it on a quantum computer with you know, 10 million things, we wouldn't have got something that was all that different from what we did get. Right. Um, and I, we talking about it at home. We really did do that at home because I work from home. Um, you know, if the, somebody got a quantum computer in here, we wouldn't come up with a different answer, just a much bigger bill for our client. Right. Um, um, so some things just aren't intended to go on quantum computers. I mean, no matter what. Um, well, I guess let me ask you this then as you're explaining that. So I can take a horse with a single blade plow and I can eventually pl plow 100 acres. Mm -hmm. Or I can take a tractor, a modern tractor, and in a couple hours, if that, in fact, guided probably by robotics, automation, AI, why, you know, following a LIDAR with a drone or whatever. And not only can I plow the field, I can 
examine the soil through high-def cameras as I'm doing it and look for rocks to pick out or weeds or you know, rodents or varmints or whatever, and I can cull the field. I can do all of these things. And so while they do the same thing, the expensive one is much greater than the other, I'm done in a few minutes instead of a day or two. And so I don't, it feels to me like quantum is more like I'm not, I can plow the field. And there might be some cases where you would want me to plow the field because now I can do the whole hillside. I'm not just doing this field. But what I might be better served is doing this problem over here that no amount of horses could ever, it's an important problem, and no amount of horses or single blades would ever be um, particularly practical. Is It feels like we're talking about that, different... That's a, a very good analogy. I'd also say that there has to be some reasonable payback. Um, right. So you're talking to the right man. If I look at my window on my right, I can see horses, uh, uh, right. horses. And if right. I went out this room and walked about a right. tenth of a mile, I'd see our tractors. Right. Um, but um, our horses are for riding. Um, they would be in steeply insulted if we asked them to, to pull a plow. <laughs> As they, they should know, be. And, and they would have no idea what was going on. That right. aside, our tractors are both very old. We got them secondhand and they're just, I mean, we've got 23 acres of 23 right. farm. And, and they've just, it's just good enough to, because tractors last a long time. Right. Um, and we bought the one we use for mowing our 23 acres from a friend for three grand. Mm. Uh, you know, nobody was going to sell us a, all the right. things we talked about. But if I was a major food producer, first of all, I wouldn't have a, it's literally a 65-year-old right. uh, computer. I wouldn't have a 65-year-old computer. And what right. you talked about may be very profitable. Uh, but yeah, it's it's for specialist circumstances. It really is. And um, uh, But a lot of those, you know, a lot of those circumstances were markets, but they went to dressable markets until recently. Um, now, I suppose um, <laughs> uh, I suppose we should also say something critical about uh, quantum computers in the sense that, um, you know, they're scaling up now. The first ones were whatever, 12 qubits or something. Right, IBM 1200 here in the next year or two. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And and they may put it off by a year, but that's right. not the point. Near future. Um, yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, we don't really know where we're going with this. And in particular, we don't know for sure how much it's scalable. Mm. Um, at the beginning of not being in quantum computers because the idea goes back a long way. I first heard of quantum computers 30 years ago, but, but, um, uh, but more recently there were people who were very critical of, of, of the whole idea of quantum computers and said you couldn't build quantum computers that were big enough to have the capacity enough, had whole right. sufficient qubits when they were processing to, um, to do anything very useful. And some of those people are still around. And what they say is, look, yeah, you can get uh, a lot of qubits, but they're only going to last like for half a nanosecond or something. And, and so you can't do useful computing work with it. Um, and so there's still the possibility that this will be a quirky little thing. Like, um, I don't know if you remember, but in the mid eighties, there was a big thing about uh, service, you know, personal robotics. Oh, yeah. And and um, Radio Shack had its own 
personal <laughs> robot. But the problem is they couldn't do anything. They were definitely robotics. And, right. and when we tried to build a real personal robot, it was either too big or too expensive then. Right. Um, so it's possible that quantum computing was just a bit of fun that will find some application, uh, as did personal robotics back then. Um, and um, uh, but all the wonderful things we talked about today will, you know, never really come to pass. Uh, that's still possible. It's looking less and less like it's going to happen. Um, well, the IBM. IBM. Sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say the Radio Shack, um, I said IBM, I meant Radio Shack personal oh. robot. I think that's hilarious. I, I don't remember if it was it, but I saw one in that era and they could bark like a dog, like a puppy. Probably. I was like, well, why wouldn't I just get a puppy? Like, why do I need <laughs> this piece of plastic over here to bark at me? I'll just get a puppy if that, if that, like, th those were the uh, sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, I, I think. That was actually another one because there was one that looked like a puppy. Okay. The, the Radio yeah, Shack something. looked more like, you know, kind of a cartoon robot. Right. Uh, and it would bring you a newspaper in the morning. But of course, for one thing, that assumed that you got a newspaper in the right, morning. That's right. The kind of the kind of people who would own a personal robot now would never would never have a, a newspaper in the morning. So there's all those things. Yeah. Um, you can't rule out the possibility that this was just an interesting little fad. Um, you know, but probably people said that about Facebook. So yeah, well, they sure. said it about personal computers. What other than word, word processing and, and game playing, would you ever possibly use these things for? I remember my dad laughing at me when I told him I got a 40 megabyte hard drive. It's like, for why? Yeah. And uh, here no. we are all these decades later. I know we're, we're right at the edge of our time, and I, I want to honor that. I am curious why, if, if you've got a minute, maybe we set up a call for another day, but why did you get fascinated by this space? What is it that oh. hypnotized you to, to spend so much of your career here? So, um, well, first of all, I've been through th three or four new technologies and my fascination my passion to go back to the first thing you said is really in new technologies so mm -hmm. at different times i've formed companies or been involved as an analyst with first of all telecommunications second um with nanotechnology and advanced materials thirdly with um uh, 3d printing and now with quantum uh, so that's part of the answer i just like uh new tech and I settled on each of them for you know, not very interesting reasons. Um, and for instance, I got into communications because I was looking for a job when I first moved to this country and it ended up being as a communications analyst. Mm. With quantum, there was an additional thing. I, uh, I never finished my PhD, which was going to be in the area of philosophy of science. Mm. I don't think I'm going to now, but the thesis I started to write had a lot to do with the history of quantum mechanics. Uh, and I learned a lot of quantum mechanics and I was always really fascinated by it um, and kept up with it, even mm. though it had nothing to do with my job. Mm. Um, so this was like the perfect job for me. And when we we formed this company, I was probably more excited about this than the other ones because suddenly here I am in my 70s and I've been learning quantum mechanics in my 20s. And you know, it only took half a century for me to get there. So. It, it's, um, it is a, I find more enthusiastic 
optimistic, maybe almost recklessly optimistic engineers. So to find an enthusiastic, recklessly optimistic engineer is uncommon, but I find them in this field because it is a field of, when I say Willy Wonka, I don't mean that with disrespect. I just mean it in a, what's the possibility? What could we do? How could we make it happen? What are, I have to deal in all this theoretical stuff. And sometimes it feels scary and dangerous, but more often than not, it's, it's a conversation about possibility and imagination. Yeah, and I mean, that's probably true. You're completely right, actually. It, it sort of grew. I mean, if you look at the things that I was involved in, that that um, certainly, you know, the, the fiber optic kind of telecommunications I was and actually am still involved with grew out of the old telephone network, which is pretty yeah. sophisticated yeah. by the time I got into the 70s anyway and existed before I was born. Um, you know, nanotechnology was a little bit more airy-fairy and exciting, right. but it's still advanced materials, again, been right. around for a while. And 3D printing is 2D printing in one more di- dimension. Right. It's got robotic control, but this is really something very new, but that's right. something that basically can't be done in any other way that we know about. Yeah. Pretty exciting. Well, Lawrence, I'm going to let you go. I will just, with this one last, uh, I don't know if this is a positive or negative. We were talking before about NVIDIA and matching their hardware up with quantum. And why would anybody, where would they go with AI? One of these days, according to the AI naysayers, and I'm not going to name their names, but they, they own really big companies and are very wealthy, the ones that get scared. They would say, I think, wait till the quant- the AIs figure out how to hook themselves mainline some quantum compute back end and you know give themselves super super intelligence well then the world's over and when that happens i probably won't be here either when skynet becomes conscious that's right so if we build machines that that can do things like that i mean somebody mentioned a drone that is programmed to do really bad things and to sort of make its own decision whether it Right. You know, decides to assassinate right. this prime minister as a way right. of achieving. Um, it has to be programmed to be enabled to do something like that, in which case right. more, more fool us. Um, right. But the idea of something suddenly becoming conscious strikes me as a bit silly because that isn't really the way things work. And right. it's just a way of getting around. Well, they just became conscious. Right. How did that happen? <laughs> oh, well, you know. Um, uh, we don't even know how acetaminophen works, much less consciousness. Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> and and I, from the little I know, it's one of my interests. It's There's some things about consciousness that aren't replicable on by a computer. I mean, we do know that that much at least. So I'm not really worried about Skynet being conscious or redesigning the world. So it's like the matrix. There's things about the matrix, which is what they were really talking about in politics that seem like the real thing these days, but but it's got nothing to do with machines running the world. Yeah. Well, hopefully, and, and I, this, my fingers crossed. I don't know that I'm super optimistic. I'm an optimistic person, but you know, you say more fool less. I remember a, a phrase in one of the great scriptures that said something like, um, God said to them, you get the king you deserve. You know, you, you act a certain way. You want certain things. You have no idea what you're asking for. You're going to go put yourself, yeah, you know, a king wants you to raise armies. A king wants taxes. A yeah. king wants these things. Be careful what you wish for. And so we go sometimes... We, we go make these great wings 
of feathers and wax, and then we fly too close to the sun. And I, I'm an optimist. I just, well, you know, hopefully we don't do that. You're mixing up cultures. The, the quote <laughs> you were coming from, it's actually from the book of Samuel. And, and Samuel was asked to find a king, and he said all the things that you said. Yeah. The, the, wing, the flying too close to the sun is the Greeks, not sure. the Jews. Yeah. But, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that's right. It, it's just in the case of something becoming conscious, it wouldn't surprise me if we turn out to be too stupid not to realize that we shouldn't be doing that. But we don't know how to do it. We don't even right. know what consciousness is. I think there's some research that suggests we're beginning to know the kind of thing it might be, but it's exactly the kind of thing you couldn't program on a computer. So Yeah. yeah I mean, sometimes I think, and I think Sam was an amazing, amazing prophet from the Old Testament, but sometimes he reminds me of Gandalf. I think he just yes. snaps his staff and says, yeah. I'm done with you knuckleheads and leaves the room. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, uh, um, Tolkien was, was religious and a Catholic, so he almost certainly had read that long oh, before. Yeah. yeah. He and his partner, C.S. Lewis, uh, yeah, yeah, an yeah. interesting well, time. Yeah. Interesting time. Lawrence, thank you very much. First of all, for bearing with us for our technical difficulties oh, and spending your time with us. And I I look forward to the next conversation. I have so many notes here Whenever that we didn't get want. into, but yeah, we'll do it yeah. again. And if you enjoy the conversation, like it. And if you love the conversation, subscribe. We'll see you next time. QTS Experience. Take care, everybody. Take care.